This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Philadelphia's Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, a closer look. Hello, everybody. Welcome to, yes, a, a holiday weekend edition of Recovery Radio on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we join you as we do um, all the time here on Recovery Radio to talk about, in very broad terms, behavioral health, mental health issues, uh, with a particular uh, focus on substance abuse issues. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat, about which more a little bit later. Well, as I mentioned, as you're rolling around, probably uh, running around getting charcoal briquettes or whatever else you may need, or you're hustling your way off to uh, to a, a vacation spot during the Memorial Day weekend, we obviously chose this moment to put our focus on veterans and the work that's being done with them in those areas of, of behavioral health and uh, substance abuse. It should come as no surprise to anybody who knows uh, anything about substance abuse that no one's immune from this, certainly are. Our nation's veterans uh, have paid a price uh, with regard to uh, substance abuse. We're here to focus a bit on, you know, to what extent their their military career contributed to that, to the toll taken by uh, active duty work and and exposure to combat. Uh, combat. So on this Memorial Day weekend, we're uh, we're honoring and focusing uh, veterans. And to that end, we welcome to the program a couple of guys. We're going to do them one at a time. Um, to keep things orderly. After all, these are military men. Um, Rodney Thorne and Michael French are joining us from uh, Florida where where they work. Uh, We'll find out what they're doing down there now. Both are are veterans of the United States uh, military, uh, Army, and we're going to find out all about their story with uh, with, uh, their career as, as military men, but also their struggles with substance abuse. So let me welcome Rodney Thorne to the program. Rodney, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Appreciate it. Um, so, Rodney, let's 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 begin with your story. Uh, you know, where are you from? I'm originally born in uh, Rona Rapids, North Carolina. And uh, t- uh, you're how old? You told me earlier. I am now 51. You sound like you just turned 51. Is that right? Yes. Sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, how, uh, tell me about your uh, your background growing up. A big family. What was the situation in uh, North Carolina? Uh. Small family, it was just me, my mother, and my stepfather. Um, yeah, suffered uh, from some childhood abuse as well, um, physical, nothing, uh, not sexual or anything, but yeah, some traumatic events there. You know, it's interesting about that. We know that trauma has a role to play in all of these uh, topics, but uh, when you talk about, you know, abuse as a child, when, when you were growing up, and I guess it was what probably dad, maybe dad and mom, um, raising you the old-fashioned way, I'm guessing. Uh, did you did you view it as abuse, or did you just think that this is the way kids are raised? You get you get whacked every every now and then. How did you view right. that? How did you view um, that abuse? Yeah, growing up, um, you tend to look at it as, you know, that's, that's the way children are raised, you know, especially um, back then. But then it gets to a point where you start to realize, yeah, this is this is a little extreme, you know, because it becomes for no apparent reason. It just happens. Oh, oh, so there, there wasn't any cause and effect here. Now you you got beaten just sometimes for the sake of getting beaten. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, I'm sorry. Did you this say by my stepfather? Your stepfather. Did you have siblings uh, who were also being treated this way? No, sir. 
I was the only child at the time. Oh, you were the, you, you, you were the only, only child. W- was there any substance abuse going on in your family as you were growing up? Yes. My uh, stepfather was an uh, alcoholic. Uh-huh. And, and certainly that contributed to the way he treated you, I guess. Yes. So at what point did you begin to wonder whether, the, you know— you know, or, or I guess resist the notion of getting, you know, getting whacked every time he got he he had one too many drinks. How old were you when you began to go? No, I can't do this anymore. I can't get beat up anymore. Uh, I was probably about seventeen, between sixteen and seventeen. And I, um, at that point, I actually uh, grabbed a belt one day, and um, I remember that particular day he turned the belt around and started to hit me with the buckle. Mm-hmm. The belt, for, yeah. you know. All right. What was your mom doing uh, during all of this? Was she? Support- she wasn't aware. Oh, she wasn't aware. She, of it. she wasn't even aware um, of the the beatings that that went on. Um, yeah. Why didn't you talk to her about? It? Was that something that you just didn't think you you brought to your mom that this just was the way right. it was? Yeah. I mean, this is some. I mean, you got to realize back then it was something you thought that. You know, was a form of punishment mm-hmm. that it was agreed upon. You know mm-hmm. that your parents understood that, or she had an understanding as well. But to come to find out later on, um, none of this was. You know, she had no clue. You know, there's, a, there's a very interesting cultural differences of child rearing, and we know the story of the football player a couple of years ago, the celebrated running back for the Minnesota uh, Vikings. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Peterson, who uh, you know, got into a whole lot of trouble for taking a, uh, um, I guess it was a stick to his uh, to his son, and he his position was, you know, this is the way I raise my children, you know, spare right. the spare the rod, <laughs> spoil the child. I mean, so, I mean, it's it's probably wrong headed, obviously, to hit people, hit children anyway. But but I certainly understand what you're talking about, the normalcy of this. So you're 17 years old, and then you go, that's enough of that. Um, yes, sir. I'm guessing that the army presented an escape route for you. Is that the way it worked? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, if I'm going to um, get yeah. going in the military was my my first option. You know, um, I had opportunities to go to school and things of that nature to continue on to college. Had a football scholarship, and uh, I just chose to get away. I had to get away, and schooling I felt like wasn't going to do what I wanted to do. Because I wanted to be, at that time, I wanted to be as far away as possible. My first tour of duty was in Germany. That's how far I wanted to be away. Right. You just, want, you just wanted to get out. This was the easiest way. Yes, sir. This was the easiest way. Um, and, and you had all those opportunities, which is really uh, kind of a shame. Uh, when, when did your uh, substance abuse uh, issues begin? Did you, did you begin experimenting with drugs or alcohol the way most young people do just casually recreationally is that how it started for you um well i well thankfully um i was pretty active in sports and uh in my youth i really didn't get into it you know of course i tasted uh alcohol or i tried to smoke weed Mm -hmm. um but it was nothing at that point in time, nothing continuous, and you know it was like once in a blue moon type thing. So you weren't suffering from from abuse in the household 
while you were you were abusing substances, you sound like you you were kind of a decent enough kid, an athletic, an athlete, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, not not uh, overdoing it as a teenager. So when did they, when did you um, when did you begin really getting deep into substance abuse? Um, well, this was shortly after my military career. Oh, it was after the military career. You're right. And let's talk about your um, your career. You were how long in uh, active duty? I was active duty eight years. And in, in those eight years, what's the time frame between when and when? From uh, 86 to 95. Well, <laughs> talk about the shank of the evening. I mean, that puts you uh, in the military at a time when there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, uh, combat exposure. Conflict. Yeah. Tell, tell us about your experience in the, as in, as a combat uh, soldier. Yes, sir. Um, experience, uh, I experienced trauma there as well. Uh, August 2nd, 1990, we were deployed over to Iraq. And I was I was in Iraq, Desert Storm and Desert Shield, up into May 91. Uh, May 10th, 91, I remember the date. Uh, but during that time, we experienced, you know, combat with the Iraqi soldiers as far as, um, you know, seeing all kind of different things, hearing different things, you know, from explosions to, to tank bombings and um, aircraft explosions, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of things that affect you. And, you know, when you start to see body parts, uh, limbs of other people, that, that tends to carry with you for the rest of your life. When, and, and that led you, uh, that that trauma, the trauma of, 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 of combat, that led you to, I'm guessing, what, drinking? No, that led me to uh, substance abuse. Uh, uh, I mean, I started drinking, but I wasn't really, you know, um, a big drinker because of what I experienced with childhood with my stepfather. So um, my gateway was straight into um, actually cocaine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, and that would, that would help me to, to numb the factors of um, any type of uh, nightmares, um, sudden explosions or sudden sounds, you know, PTSD started yeah. to to take an effect were you have were you having that traumatic stress uh while an active duty uh, on on active duty in, in a combat situation yes towards the end of my career yes sir and when i when i got ready to ets it had just started the um where the nightmares had just uh began to take place wasn't sure what ptsd was at that time right um didn't know recognize it as you know a post-traumatic stress disorder um it was just something that, you know, you felt like happened because you were in combat and different things you seen, whether it was, you know, certain smells, certain scents, uh, gunpowder. Yeah, definitely. Um, the smell, the smell of the smell of the smell of gunpowder yes, would tri would trigger the, uh, an, an episode, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Fourth of July is, I mean, I don't want to curse, but yeah, Fourth of July is a holiday that, you know, it's, it's very hard for most veterans to deal with. You know, that's because an, of the, the fireworks, the sounds, wow. the smell of gunpowder. Yeah. You know, well, that's something we don't think as we unfurl the flags and the bunting and the 
let's celebrate not only the independence or this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, there, there will be fireworks displays and we all think it's wonderful, all right. but you're right. It's probably not so wonderful for people who saw it for real. You remember, yeah. uh, we got about 30 seconds here before we had to take our first break. We're talking to Rodney Thorne. Uh, Rodney, by the way, I, I should have mentioned this at the top, is now in the field of uh, treating substance abuse and behavioral health issues as a, a clinical aide at retreat in Florida, but we're going to get to that a, a bit later. But v- okay. just to, I know this this is a, probably a longer answer than I'm giving you time for, but do, do you remember the first time you saw somebody die? Yes, sir. Yes, I do. Um, that was probably about August, August 90. That was the first, first time I'd actually seen a victim uh, explode, um, sucked out the other side of a tank from, you know, the penetration of the, the round through the tank and the individual came out the other side, shredded. Yeah. It's ugly. Yeah. Nobody, uh, nobody dies in combat, um, the way they show it in the movies. Rodney Thorne is our our guest. We have more with Rodney's experience with uh, dealing with substance abuse, post-traumatic stress, and, um, and his now two years of sobriety. This is Recovery Radio. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we chose the occasion to focus on veterans and what work needs to be done more to help them with things like substance abuse, post-traumatic stress, and uh, the toll taken by their um, their active military duty to that. And we've got two fellows with us, uh, Rodney Thorne, who we're talking to now, and then his colleague, Michael French, uh, in the second half of the program. So, so Rodney, um, it's a, a hellacious thought. Um, see, see people blown apart and uh, the toll that's taking on you. And as you're still in the active uh, military in, uh, in the Middle East, you're using drugs to numb it and Keep keep from going uh, insane during that period of time. I don't, I don't. There wasn't a lot of talking among the in the ranks about everybody sharing. I mean, nobody sat around complaining to one another how bad it was, or or how they were feeling about it. Did, did you guys keep that to yourselves? No, sir. No, sir. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. A lot of times we we didn't say anything about what we seen or how we felt because um, normally somebody was there with you. And they've seen the same thing, right, so exactly. it wasn't nothing to really talk about, you know. All right. So so during that period of time, you begin using, you said, cocaine. Did it progress to anything worse than cocaine? Uh, yes. I, I actually started uh, shortly after that, after I got out of the military on an honorable discharge, um, started a family. And the means of support at that time was uh, selling crack cocaine. Um, you couldn't find a real job or what? Or how, right. How, I had difficulty, you know, um, you, so had you, very mostly sleepless nights, you right. know, and that was triggered by, you know, the PTSD um, with the night terrors and things of that nature. So um, shortly thereafter, I started to um, smoke crack cocaine myself. Right. Right. How long did that go on? That went on for off and on for several years. Right, right. How uh, how old were you during this period of time? I was going. I was in like twenty seven, twenty eight. And again, you, you mentioned night terrors. What other difficulties were you having? Just garden variety, getting through the day 
difficulties which we now know as a result of post-traumatic stress. What else was going on in your life that was um, making it difficult? Um, certain smells you you would definitely have a problem with, along with uh, sudden sounds or sudden movements by people. That, that would trigger... Um, moments in your life where you know it took you to a point where you might have a flashback or, or something to that effect yes sir were these uh were these events causing uh problems with the law or it must i know it wrecked havoc on your family life were, you were yes it definitely uh wreaked havoc on my family life uh at the time i was married had uh two very young children and uh my I guess my my problems were starting to affect them because, you know, often enough when you have a night terror, you wake up with night sweats and sudden screaming noises and, you know, your access may not be as safe to your family as you think, you know, as you think they are. They could actually be either um, threatening or very uh, scary. Sure, sure. How old were the kids when, when, when this was going on at its at its height? I think my my youngest was three and my oldest was just like seven or eight. Okay, so this is a traumatic event for them. Something's wrong with dad. Uh, yes, and, and, yes. It, and it's terrifying. So we know that stuff like substance abuse in general, but certainly post-traumatic stress turns out to be a family disease. It's not affecting just yes. one person. It's affecting everybody. Did, did you did you ever get violent? Did, did you Were you hitting your children? No, no. Um never got violent never was abusive to my children um i often took it out on myself whereas i would turn to the drug to escape mm-hmm. and numb the fact that you know how i was feeling so that would take me out of the environment itself i would be you know somewhere off in the woods smoking crack you know and not being bothered you know mm-hmm. or not affecting my family i think it's affecting my family mm-hmm. which it actually is so you say this went on, uh, this pattern went on for a long time. When was the first time you said, I've got to do something about this? Do you remember that? Um, I think the first first time I said it was back in 97, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, from 97 to 2004, well, from ni- 90, 1997, I actually went into a, um, it was like a work program for substance abusers. Um, well, it was called um, Triangle Residential Options for Substance Abuse. Right. At the time. So you're making... And, uh, sir? You're making this effort to, to, to get, get sober. Right. And and how successful? Actually, um, I did all right for a little bit. I um, stayed clean, I think, for like a year and a half at that time. Uh, relapsed, and then I stayed clean for like another seven years. Um. But that was just basically on uh, Bible-based. I did none of the, none of the things that are required to do to actually stay involved and stay committed to, you know, trying to be clean. So uh, you say you, you say know. you say Bible, but you mean in other words, faith a faith-based cure or, or, or yeah, yeah. yeah 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 yeah. Well, you know, uh, trying to be involved with the church and uh, you know doing youth ministry um, stuff like that. Then it just wasn't. Um, it wasn't enough, you know. Um, I didn't realize altogether, you know, the PTSD continued to be there, you know, so that followed me. So sure. it was nothing mm-hmm. nothing about that until I um, came upon the retreat. 
Well, and that's the first time anybody know, anybody tells you out loud that there's two things going on here now. The use substance abuse issues, but there's this co-occurring problem, which is a mental health, right. which is a mental health issue. Um, and when did you when did you uh, go into that second treatment uh, with retreat? What? Well, I came into the second treatment uh, May seventh, twenty seventeen. Obviously, that took, and, uh, and now it, you say two years sober, right? Yes, sir. Just yeah. came past two years sober. Uh, and that was due to, you know, and I will speak on, you know, at the retreat, you know, they, they actually worked on uh, the traumatic events that I had experienced, you know, we did EMDR therapy, you know, I had one-on-one counseling. So those things, you know, a lot of that plays a part in my, my recovery history now. You know, I learned how to cope with um, things and learn how to take my medications and, you know, things that keep a lot of the the factors at bay now, you know, other than having a high power. I understand. You know. Uh, I understand. Uh, uh, Rodney Thorne, uh, hold on because we're going to probably get back to you a little bit in the second half of the program, but we do want to talk to your uh, to your colleague and friend uh, Michael French uh, yes, and, and get his story. Uh, we have more on this Memorial Day weekend as we focus on vets in the context of uh, behavioral health and substance abuse issues. Stay with us. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you on this uh, Memorial Day weekend as we take the occasion to focus on some of the problems that our veterans are dealing with with regard to post-traumatic stress, certainly, and a broader range of behavioral health issues, uh, some of which have a direct relationship to the toll taken from their uh, active combat duty. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Michael French, who was a colleague of our earlier guest, Rodney Thorne, just a second. I want to remind you, though, that as they do every week, that if you have any questions or comments about anything you've ever heard on on the show, uh, we are sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health. And you know what? I'm not going to spend any time doing a pitch here now. That's not what this is about. Uh, I give you their phone number, and I have a mandate to tell you that the folks at Retreat, while they are literally leaders in their field of uh, treating these wide range of issues, they want you to have this phone number so that you can get questions answered. If they can help you, they will, but they will answer questions for you. That's the purpose of the program, and it's why Retreat has graciously supported it all these years. So here's the phone number, and I hope truly that you never have to use it, but in a, in a crunch, you'll get real good information. 855-859-8808. That's Retreat Behavioral Health. 855-859-8808. Well, as I, as I mentioned, we're focusing on, on veterans. Second of our guests today uh, is another former uh, United States uh, veteran of the United States Army, uh, Michael French. Michael works alongside our earlier guest, Rodney Thorne, uh, at retreat in Florida, we're going to find out more about what both of those guys are doing down there at the uh, at the uh, tail end of the program. Michael, th- thanks for taking time out and joining us here on the program. Yes, sir. Can, can, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, I just dropped my uh, my iPad. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. How old are you, uh, Michael? Uh, Fifty-eight. And uh, you were in the military during what period of time? Um, the years of eighty-eight to ninety-three. So, you, like, like Rodney, you, you were you were in in the uh, the thick of uh, some real hostilities during that period of time. So, let me talk a little bit about your. Where were you? Uh, where were you brought up? Um, I was brought up in Washington D.C. Uh-huh. Um, 
tell us a little bit about about that regular regular upbringing. You have you have siblings and uh, yes, yes. I got two brothers and two sisters. Um, two sisters older, two brothers are younger. Um, my daddy was a metropolitan police um, from for Washington D.C. Uh, and my mother was a stay at home um, mother. She stayed at home. She didn't work. <clears throat> and um, so we were basically brought up middle class. Um, mm-hmm. And I went to a Catholic school. So I've always had rules, rules and regulations that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. We're going we're going to find out what 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 gets you uh, to to the to the military in a bit. But t- t- tell me about your experiences with uh, with substance abuse. Uh, when did you first begin experimenting with whatever you began experimenting with, alcohol or marijuana? How old were you when that happened? Well, alcohol came at a very young age um, because my parents never drank um, or used drugs, um, but they used to entertain, I guess, from his profession of being a police officer. A lot of the guys on his, you know, on his on his tour, whatever they. Um, they would celebrate, you know, mm-hmm. and I guess from the things that they saw. So I used to keep liquor around in the house, and I used to experiment with it. <laughs> like, I, I would I would go in a bottle, drink some of it, and i put water back in it uh, until they got to the fact that, you know, his friends were catching on to what <laughs> I was doing. Yeah, Michael, you did, Michael, you didn't invent that trick. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, you didn't invent that trick, um, oh, yeah. and that only—you're right—that only works for a little bit. Um, so that's you know that's your standard, that's your garden variety uh, kid story about. Let's see, the folks are doing this. It looks like fun. Everybody seems to be happy. Let me find out what it's all about. How 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 quickly did it become a problem for you? Uh, I would say probably by the age that I almost started going to high school. Yeah, and I'm always fascinated by uh, by that situation. W- when you say so, you're drinking, and everybody, and a lot of people, you know, your peers are doing the same thing you were doing. How? When did you begin, if at all, to become aware that you were doing it heavier than everybody else? Do you remember thinking about that? Yeah, one time when I uh, I had got my first car, and I went out and celebrated. Um, and I don't know how I got home. I don't know how I got in the house, and I don't know how I actually got in the bed. And I wasn't assisted by anyone, so I think I blacked out. And that was the time that I really realized that, you know, I had a real serious problem with drinking. And I think that just scared me straight, actually. How old were you at that point? Uh, Probably 18. When you say blackout, explain that for people because lots of people think that means you just lose, you know, you fall down, you lose consciousness. It's it's something different, right? Yes, it's it's like that whole that whole episode. I can't remember anything that happened. And you actually remember the all. you actually remember the first time you woke up and went, "Wow, I lost all I lost all that. I can't that, I can't." Yep. A lot of people think. Folks who say that are kidding themselves. You know, they're they're like covering up for their bad behavior by going, I don't remember what I did. You actually don't remember what you did, right? No, not at all. I have no clue. 
and, and at that point, it had to been it had to been a power greater than me that made me sustain what I went through. So it's oh, you mean you got lucky? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, you say it scared you. What'd you do as a result of that? <laughs> I stopped drinking for for, for how long? Um, it was a few years. Uh, I would say close to ten years. Really? And and then I uh, I relapsed. I guess I guess you would call that. But I wasn't really in recovery because I didn't even know what recovery was about or what it was. But um, that went on for a little while until um, I got into a fight with my brother and my other brother. They jumped me and. Um, that was that was the final straw with that, and I've never picked up after that mm-hmm. as far as uh, alcohol. Yeah, yeah, and you. This is when you were obviously still a civilian, correct? Yes, sir. Does this does this uh, uh, kind of uh, um, life that you're living at that point is it what drives you to the military? Is this the way out? Did someone suggest it to you? Was it your idea? How did you wind up in the army? Um, I actually um was just going through so many different things like problems that um i wanted to get away like it was like let me get away from everybody and that was what i chose to do at the time not not realizing that you know there was going to be a war or anything Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. that was what you know this was a little before all that kicked off and um i was i'd already signed my life away you know what i'm saying basically for that amount of years, and <clears throat> then there's a storm came. Did you have so. any? Did you have any idea what you were signing up for? Not really. Not really. I had no clue. So, how long were you uh, in the military before Desert Storm? Um, three years. So you're, you know, so you're, you know, you're a soldier of of, of some uh, of some experience here now. Now, now you know, you're, now you're going into the to, to the real stuff. Were you prepared for that? I mean, I know you were trained, but were you prepared for it? I thought I was until until um, you know we got on that plane and we landed. Well, so, so tell me about that. How how soon after you were in country did you see your first combat? Uh, I was, I was, it was actually immediately, um, cause I was airborne. Oh, so you, you, what, the 101st or the 82nd? Yeah, I was with 101st, yeah, we jumped in, so that was immediate, um, we had immediate, uh, contact with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what that was like? Um, it was, it was pretty bad cause we, when we jumped in, it was at nighttime and, um, we jumped into a tank battalion and, and because it was I think it was it was like really windy and we blew off course a good little ways and it's not usually something that you want to do is when it's windy like that but <laughs> we were trying to surprise them and we got surprised actually so how long did that first uh, engagement last do you remember uh three days three days non-stop pretty much or non-stop nonstop because like I said we were off course so it took them a while to be able to get you know to get uh, into us um, was it was it, did you see people did you see people die during that engagement yes sir mm-hmm. what was the effect it had on you I had I had a lot of anger, anger built up at that point um, 
it came to the point like I just wanted to shoot anything that moved. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 just the way I felt about what was going on. Like I didn't, you know, I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. really scared. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When you got, like you said, you got people, um, like dying in front of you, or you know, and then you got people's blood splattering on you and stuff of that nature. Like it's 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 crazy. And then you got people hauling on the radio. You know, it, it's tough. And the whole time you're trying to stay alive. Um, so during this period, you you were sober when you entered. Do I, do I understand this correctly? You, you had you had handled the, the drinking problem prior to going to the military. Is that right? Yes, sir. And then what? As a result of this, did you start again? Um, no, actually, I hadn't started drinking. I I actually um got to the point where is um alcohol was not like an issue in my life anymore. Um, and I, and I actually did that without recovery. Mm -hmm. It was just that I didn't want anything else to do with it. Like I said, my dad, my mom never drunk mm -hmm. alcohol at all. So why was I drinking it? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Why was I doing stupid things? And I had, you know, I had to gri get grips on that. And, and then after all the stuff I seen, I just wanted to be by myself. And that's when I got introduced to cocaine. We're talking to uh, uh, Michael French. My Michael French is a uh, a veteran, telling us about his struggles with uh, substance abuse and post traumatic stress, which is uh, a general overarching theme that we've talked about with he and his colleague Rodney Thorne. We have more with Michael straight ahead on this Memorial Day weekend. Stay with us. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I want to thank uh, both our, our guys, uh, Rodney and Michael, uh, both uh, uh, veterans of the, uh, the United States uh, military, uh, sharing with us their, their story about post-traumatic stress and uh, substance abuse and how they both got a handle on it. Um, uh, Michael French has, has been with us here in the second half. M Michael, you say that uh, drinking was not a problem during your military career. You get out of the military after having seen combat of uh, you know the horrific nature. And then... Um, you're not even aware that you're suffering from post-traumatic stress, but you're using cocaine, you say, to uh, to numb all that. What? How long did that uh, exist? How long did that behavior continue until you decided to get into treatment? Uh, I would have to say probably seven to eight years, possibly, that um, I was using. And I went into a program. It was a one-year program. And I got out, and I decided that, hey, I wanted to go back to using cocaine. I, I just wasn't ready. Right. You know what I'm saying? I was there, but I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And and then some of the things that I was seeing, you know, that was happening in the streets um, drove me to also use uh, again, too. Um, I've seen people get shot in front of me. I've seen people get hit by cars, um, and like I said, the the noises, being around crowds, it was very hard for me for at the first portion of um, coming out. Sure. Um, because I lost a lot of people in crowds, um, and that was a lot of stuff that we were dealing with when we were over the crowds. 
when did it occur? Me. When did it occur to you that this, what was going on in your life, was it was largely a result of what you'd seen? I mean, you said you didn't even know what post traumatic stress was. When did that? Who was it, or did you just come to the conclusion yourself that you you needed help with these emotional and, and psychological problems as well as the substance abuse? Was that when you got to retreat? Um. Yeah. Yes, sir. It must have been a real eye opener to go. Oh, I see what's going on here now. I, I got, I got, I got issues. Um, tell, tell us, you know, uh, uh, briefly um, about that that second stint at trying to get get it together because it took, and now you're now you're two years sober. Why do you think it it worked for you the second time? Because I believe that, um, like, they deal more with the inner problem that the the root of the problem that's going on in your life which a lot of these other places do not deal with the root of the problem you know what I'm saying you have your own personal um, therapists uh, the groups that they give are the greatest groups um, that I've ever experienced um, in recovery um, and they just they just keep it real with you. You know what I'm saying. Well, it's obviously and working. You can tell there's general knowledge that they care about you. Yeah. You know what well, I'm saying. Two two years sober. Congratulations for that. You're now a clinical aide. Uh, did your all of your experiences sort of sort of push you into this field? Do you, do you, do you think this is where you're supposed to be? Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I seen when I first got down here. Actually, I seen what some of the people had and what they were doing with their lives, and I wanted what they had. And I knew the only way that I could get to it was I had to surrender, and that's what I did. I said I had surrendered prior to coming down here, and this is where it's led me to today. Well, being able to give back to others that you know are, are dealing with the same issues and problems that I deal with on a daily basis. Michael, thanks so much. I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's just a uh, uh, sort of cliche to thank you for your service, but your service continues now in helping other people as a clinical aide. Um, th- thanks for joining us. I want to say uh, goodbye to Rodney as well. Um, find out how his uh, his experience as a clinical aide has uh, has shaped him, but I thank you, Michael. R- Rodney, um, you also are a clinical aide at, uh, at retreat, I understand. Hello. Yeah, Rodney, you're also you're also a clinical aide, correct? Say again. You you are also a clinical aide at retreat, is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, tell me what that's like. I'm I'm not hearing you. I'm sorry. Tell tell me tell me about your job as a clinical aide. Oh, as a clinical aide, um, I provide uh, comfortability and guidance and instruction to uh, fellow patients and clients that come through uh, retreat, try to make them feel less comfortable and uh, sense of uh, urgency of, of wanting to be, wanting to be uh, or have a better life. Do you, uh, do you see in a lot of the uh, people that you deal with as a clinical aide, do you see some of the things you did or many of the things you did? Yes, sir. Um I mean, I, I I was previously uh, attend groups, um, try to be where I'm supposed to be at and on time or ahead of time. You know, um, go to all the uh, therapeutic treatments that they had to offer. Um, that was for me. Now, some of my clients sometimes they can be a little bit more difficult, 
and you have to offer um, some type of more encouraging words or whatever because uh, we're dealing now with uh, a different type of substance, you know. Mm -hmm. um, drug is a whole lot different than it was back then, yeah. you know. There's so many different things yeah. involved in it. Yeah, fentanyl has changed the game completely. The margin of error is, is non-existent. People are dying. Yeah. In fact, there's the kind of we know that there's a kind of loss of death over here that uh, practically rivals a, a war zone. Anyway, uh, yes. uh, two years sober for you as well. Congratulations on that. And the service I want to thank you for is the work you're doing now, helping other people who have uh, who have struggled with substance abuse. We appreciate both of you guys joining us for our focus on on vets and we and wish you uh the best and continued success and happiness thanks guys not a problem and thank you all uh this is recovery radio keep looking for us we're wherever finer podcasts are heard take care and enjoy the rest of your holiday week this program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of wpht or its management